This is a Federal News Network podcast. Today's vote, in reality, the vote that's been going on for weeks and may continue counting for weeks longer, will have big consequences for nearly every segment of the economy, including federal contractors and the rules they and the government operate under. For what contractors are looking for from the next administration, we turn to the president and CEO of the Professional Services Council, David Berteau. David, good to have you back. And as we await the returns, and who knows if we'll even know tomorrow morning who the next president will be, what is it that the industry is looking for in terms of the ground rules? Well, Tom, uh, good morning. And it it is Election Day. And of course, one of the things we've learned at PSC over the years is uh, we have to be ready for all possible outcomes, right? Both uh, in terms of the White House and also in terms of the Senate and, and the House of Representatives, even if the odds are slim that a certain outcome will come, we've got to be prepared for that uh, no no matter what. So uh, that's what we spend our time doing. And and the initiatives that we're working on fall into really two categories. The broadest ones are whatever the outcomes are, these are important matters for for contracting and and for our contractors. And then there might be some specific depending on uh, who would win. Because, you know, even if the incumbent wins a second term, history shows that there's a lot of turnover. There's a whole new agenda. There's a whole new set of people. And, uh, and right now, uh, we don't know who that's going to be. So, so one of the key things that we want to focus on really is how does America get back to a government that functions better and a government that they can actually trust, right? One of the things we learned actually in the, the partial government shutdown a couple of years ago is that a lot of Americans don't even really realize everything government does until they stop doing it, right? And so that's a big issue there. And I think uh, we've got a number of initiatives that we want to put forth that would help move all of America in that direction, not just our member companies. One of the things we learned in the pandemic is that, yes, government is capable of spending a lot of money on response, but the response really depended so much on contracted work. So there's a good example of if you're going to have a policy that gets carried out properly, government and industry really are one entity in that sense. Absolutely. And I think we, we've seen a couple of real positive lessons grow out of the COVID-19 response, right? One is that government and, and business can co- collaborate and cooperate much better. It really is a better cemented partnership, I think, it recognized by all on, on both sides going forward. And we moved into that so quickly. Uh, and part of it was due to good leadership, OMB and the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, putting out some key memoranda right at the front end, Defense Department and GSA and uh, um, other agencies doing the same thing, and then implementing those because good ideas don't self-implement. They've actually got to be implemented by thousands of contracting officers and program managers across the government, and contractors have to, contractors have to fill, fill their in as well. And we saw all of that work in the response to COVID-19. And on some specific ideas, of course, if we can presume that regardless of whether Mr. Trump Trump or Mr. Biden is elected, the pandemic will still be with us. And so there are specifics like extending provision 3610 to keep contractors available and engaged that you're looking right. for. Absolutely. And, you know, the uncertainty is the, the bane of, of successful contracting, right? Because ultimately, uh, contractors perform the contracts that negotiate and, and sign. And, uh, and the government can only do that which they know they have funding for. So first and foremost, it's actually for Congress and the administration to put in place the full-year appropriations for FY21. You know, we're operating under a continuing resolution now. It goes through December 11th. Uh, we, we know what the final numbers are going to look like. It doesn't make any sense for Congress not to enact those and the president to sign them. And inside that clearly needs to be an extension of Section 3610, that special authority that allows companies to be reimbursed to keep employees on the payroll. With or without additional funding, that authority is absolutely essential going forward. Because you're right, 
COVID-19 is going to be with us for a while. We're speaking with David Berto, president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. And there's a couple of other things pending, like the Trusted Workforce 2.0, the whole issue of the Management Act and modernization. Those are still works in progress. Very much still works in progress. The House has put forward an extension of the Modernizing Government Technology Act, and it's, uh, that's pretty essential. But the real power there is in those agencies that have already set up the working capital funds where they're financing modernization through the savings that come from getting rid of wasteful and ancient legacy systems. And uh, we can do so much more in that regard, agency after agency. There are barriers to this. Some of the budget guys don't like it. Some of the appropriators don't like it. But the benefits so far outweigh any of the concerns that that's a really powerful initiative going forward. Trusted Workforce 2.0 is a whole new way of approaching the cleared workforce, as well as those who are trusted but not necessarily classified material in civilian agencies, and particularly the idea of continuous vetting and continuous evaluation so we don't wait for five or ten years to go by before we find the next Edward Snowden. We find them in real time as we're going through. has enormous prospects for success there, but needs a lot of implementation focus. And the procurement system, the acquisition itself, is like a gigantic orchestra that is always being tinkered with. We call it acquisition reform. Uh, But what are you seeing from your standpoint that should be the next round of acquisition tinkerings? I don't want to say reform because it's not going to basically go away that you have competition for government contracts. But what, what do you see as the next set of changes? There, there are two dy- dynamics to this, right? At one end, you have Congress continuing to put lots of new legislation in place. And of course, I omitted uh, when I talked about the need for fiscal year appropriations for FY21. We also, of course, need the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year 21. It's essential to so much that the government does, not just DOD, but government-wide. But it always has new provisions that will change the acquisition rules, even though we haven't finished implementing the ones from the previous year's bills, right? And uh, and sometimes they're not even consistent with one another. So that part's got to be cleaned up. But at the other end, what we've seen under COVID-19 is a very powerful recognition that the acquisition process, when you follow all the rules, is just too slow, right? If you look at DOD, for instance, they've spent about $16 billion on COVID-19, and almost half of that has been done not through FAR-based contracts using the regular federal acquisition regulations, but through OTA, the other transaction authority, all right? What that says is, if you really need it, the system doesn't work that well. Now, the system works pretty well as long as you're stable, but in times of change. And so we ought to take advantage of that. If we can fix it for some parts of the acquisition process, we ought to be able to fix it for all the parts of the acquisition process. That's a big opportunity for the next term. I think it's safe to say that on the Democratic side, there's more interest in taking a closer look at OTAs than perhaps in the Republican side. And so if there's a switch there, then that could come under fresh scrutiny, I think. I think, as you point out, there could be some ways in which we pursue these initiatives that are a little different depending on who's in what position and and whether the Senate is in Republican majority or or Democratic majority. But the fundamental drive, which is we need an acquisition system that can be responsive, agile, and can retain the workforce and the contracting base that we need to have to get the government going. That's important. And another instrument that is used differently, depending on whether Democrats are in control or Republicans are in control, is the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs, part of the Labor Department. And you've seen very wide swings in that office's approach, say, between the Obama administration and the Trump administration. 
So that could be headed in either direction. We don't know yet. What would you hope for from OFCCP? Well, the first thing is, you know, there are statutes already in place, equal opportunity laws, uh, the Civil Rights Act extended through uh, Executive Order 11246 uh, more than more than 50 years ago now, where the role of the Office of Federal uh, Contract Compliance Programs is absolutely essential in terms of, of uh, both rewarding contractors who comply with the law and recognizing those who don't and taking care of that. And we've always advocated for uh, an appropriate level of, uh, of enforcement in that agency. But I think also it can go a little beyond that if we're not careful, right, to where uh, you're starting to play politics in that kind of compliance and, and enforcement. And we've seen that from both administrations, both the uh, Fair Pay and, uh, and Safe Workplaces executive order in the previous administration, and now, of course, executive order uh, uh, 13950, the combating race and sex stereotyping, which is essentially put a, a chill into essential diversity and inclusion training that companies need to have in order to recruit the workforce they need. All right. So a lot to look forward to. Again, we don't know as we speak now, but let's hope for the best for the nation. David Berto is president and CEO of the Professional Services Council. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. And we'll catch up with these when we actually know the outcome. All right. You you bet. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash Podcast One to learn more and start your free trial.